Welcome to the Young Journalist Podcast. I'm your host, Garrett Kroger. On today's episode, I talked to Major League Soccer reporter Drake Hills, who covers Nashville SE for the Nashville Tennessean. We talk about how soccer journalism can grow in America, what it is like to cover an expansion team, and so much more. So sit back and enjoy. All right, Drake, first off, thank you for coming on to the podcast. Uh, I started this podcast during quarantine uh, to kind of keep my mind off things. So, that, I mean, like, with no sports, I have to stay productive somehow. So, right. first question I always ask people is, I mean, how's the pandemic life treating you? Well, it certainly had its chapters since the beginning of it was trying to tell absolutely every single story you can, milking the cow, trying to find every angle you can with a team that's absolutely inactive because the luxury we have now, and it's crazy to think that it is a luxury, but the luxury we have now is that players are training, players are convening at facilities and they're getting ready for a return, if not already have returned. Uh, but in the first about 90 days was this gradual rebuild. And so for the first, I would say, five weeks of the pandemic, you're looking at second week of March to about the first week of April, where I was trying to tell absolutely every single story, you know, fatherhood in Major League Soccer, talking about uh, teammate camaraderie, Major League Soccer being from a new team. Then I got put on the news desk and told some stories about weddings being affected in Nashville (laughs) and the financial side of it. Never told a story about weddings in my life. Don't plan on doing that in the future. But hey, you know, I think one thing I, I leaned on much was that, yes, we are sports reporters, but we are reporters first. And that was an example of that, is to be able to report on weddings in Nashville, to be able to report on uh, healthcare workers in the immediate area. What are their lives like? Um, what are some other folks doing in the community that don't have anything to do with sport? I mean, I've been on a breaking news desk since the, the pandemic. I've covered an unfortunate death by a team who was working underage on a construction site. Dang. And... You know, those stories matter, and they also pull out that journalism nerdiness in you. So, and on top of that, I mean, rewatched Star the Star Wars setup. I mean, and, and see, here's the thing: I highly recommend this. Okay. Watch Star Wars in chronological order. Try it and see how you like it. I'm telling you, it's underrated. It's not talked about. I mean, I tried to, but I couldn't get past Clone Wars. That's like the problem. Like I could get see, like halfway that, through you, Clone you, Wars I mean, and then. It, Cold Wars is tough because it's, it's already people think it's begrudging to even go through Rogue One. Yeah. So, really? and, and there's a particular there's a particular order. So obviously you watch the first three episodes, then you watch Rogue One, and then you watch the uh, you watch Solo. Yeah, you watch Solo. Obviously, that's not like a part of the original major production. It's definitely a different type of feel when you watch it. So you watch the first three episodes, then you watch Rogue One and Solo, and then you, of course, go down and watch the remaining of the episodes. If you want, you can watch Clone Wars and all of those guys and even start going back in nostalgia and watch, and watch the Mandalorian series on Disney+. Plus. But yeah, those are some of the things that, I, that I've been doing in quarantine, but it's looking like this new coronavirus pandemic won't be much of a quarantine. It'll just be me working from home as if it was a normal season as if I always work from home. So uh, definitely not in the position that I was in April and May, 
starting in June, things have really built up. And you think when you look at Major League Soccer and even with Nashville SC having the coronavirus outbreak that they had, this is my version of coming back. Yeah. Which is reports are looming when when that will be announced, uh, when MLS and Nashville C will get back on the field. But uh, we're prepared for it. Yeah, no, that's glad to hear it because, I, mean, uh, I mean, I've been loving – like the MLS spectrum, but I really want sports to get back. I mean, I'd love to see everybody just being back to normal, but I mean, it's going to take years to get back to normal, obviously. But you mentioned Nashville SC, and I mean, that's what, that's what your main beat is. I mean, how is it, I mean, granted, it's a weird season. I mean, it's a weird first season covering, but I mean, how is it covering an expansion team nonetheless? Like, because this was supposed to be their first year. Obviously, yeah, got a big old wrench thrown in it, but I mean, how is it covering <laughs> an expansion team? Yeah, I mean, it is an interesting situation, right? Because you're taking a look at guys who have no idea what Nashville is about, coaches, uh, managers, staff, a lot of folks who don't have experience in Nashville. They don't have a particular uh, realization of what the fans are going to be like, what the soccer culture is going to be like, what the facility is going to be like. And so they're having to learn all of these things within months on top of that, they're getting ready for another season. So that's that's an interesting point. Now, it's also interesting for me because I was also new to the Tennessee as well. So I actually covered National SC in its previous shell in the USL, the United Soccer League, and I covered their final few games in the regular season and then covered their postseason matches. And then, of course, going through the offseason, uh, preparing for MLS. So it has certainly been an interesting Experience because not only are the players and the coach, well, not the coaching staff, at least the head coach anyway, as he was the manager of, of the USL team, but at least some of the assistant coaches who were just moved in, uh, a lot of the technical staff, a lot of the administrative staff who may have been uh, working somewhere else and were hired to to do a job for for National and MLS. A lot of these folks are new, and so am I. So it's this interesting dynamic. Uh, the only difference is, you know, I'm figuring it out by myself, and they have their teammates and they have their club to figure it out with them. Yeah, no, I mean, that that's definitely an interesting point there because, I mean, it's always weird to kind of learn it on the fly because you are kind of just like the main stay of, like, the beat because I don't see – I mean, yeah, there's probably independent sites or, like, let's say, like, an SB Nation site maybe, like, might, like, cover it remotely. But, I mean, you're, like, the one who's there – 24-7 covering Nashville at sea. So, I mean, you're not... Right. So there's a couple of others who are on the beat that are doing it part-time, but it seems to me that I'm the only full-time reporter who's covering Nashville at sea. And there are some perks, obviously, but also some negatives because, you know, when you have that that dynamic and that concoction, you are bouncing ideas off. Maybe you're... Obviously, you're competing to, to break news. You're competing to get exclusives and one-on-ones and access... Uh, at the same time, I think you're able to be pushed by that as well. So it's definitely an interesting culture here when it comes to soccer journalism because you're having one guy who's well, obviously me working for the newspaper, then you have others who are more on the blog side, uh, which which creates an interesting dynamic when you take a look at uh, the club's previous existence in MLS, or excuse me, in USL, and how it was like for them. And of course, also the the local TV stations here as well who, who cover the club. It, it creates an interesting dynamic. Yeah, I bet it does. But, I mean, 
because uh, obviously uh, you do cover the MLS. I mean, not a lot of people like dream about covering the MLS, right? Like, I mean, if you go to like journalism school, a lot of people like have the aspiration to cover the NFL, NBA, MLB, colleges. Not a lot of people go like, oh, I'm going to be an MLS reporter. Like, did you grow up like wanting to cover soccer full time? Like, like what's your, like what made you decide Nashville SC? Is that be like the job for me? I wouldn't say I was gunning for Nashville SC considering the fact that, you know, obviously they were awarded the franchise just, you know, a few years ago. Uh, I believe it's December 2017. And they played the 2018 and 2019 seasons in the USL before uh, just <laughs> matriculating into the MLS. Uh, I definitely was intending to cover soccer when it comes to my intentions in journalism school. I went to the University of Oregon and earned a Bachelor of Arts in Journalism there. And then I quickly went into a Master's of Science practical program at Northwestern University, which was also in journalism. It was specific to sports journalism. So that gave me the opportunity to be in an MLS market. I covered Chicago Fire. I covered Chicago Red Stars in the National Women's Soccer League. And so you're looking at two of the top tier professional soccer leagues in the United States, and I was able to get some experience there. But it's true, not a lot of folks, you know, man or woman, want to cover soccer full time. And so that creates a tight knit community attached to the already tight knit soccer community in America. If you go to any, you know, city with a significant amount of folks with youth programs, you're going to see the coaches, the parents, the players, they all know each other because they are not the popular sport. They are not basketball. That's, I believe, beginning to, to trounce American football uh, in the United States, particularly at the youth level. You're seeing a lot more aspiring basketball players and and maybe even other Olympic sports instead of wanting to play football. And I also believe less and less baseball players uh, at the youth level are wanting to stick to it after a little league. They're, they're dropping off after 12, 13, 14 years old, as opposed to basketball, where a lot of those players are still wanting to play at higher levels. But for me, the first sport that I ever experienced as a, as a child at four years old was soccer. As a player, as a consumer watching it on TV, of course, I played basketball and, and, and experienced other sports as well. But, you know, soccer has always been my number one sport, whether via journalism or as a fan uh, or as a player. And so that allowed me to stay focused in school, but also as I you know, started accepting fellowships. I was at the Arizona Republic where I covered the Diamondbacks, but I also covered a little bit of Arizona Cardinals camp. I covered a little bit of NASCAR, and I got those experiences and being able to see what the media life is like. Of course, the NFL circuit is always going to be packed. Um, I didn't cover any Suns uh, because it was the uh, entering the offseason, and I left. I finished my fellowship uh, before the season had begun, before training camp had begun. Uh, but I covered the USL during my time at the Arizona Republic primarily. And so I already knew what I was going to do. And it's certainly based off of your interests of the sport rather than trying to get some sort of easy way into the industry. Yeah, no, I definitely agree there. Cause I mean, I played soccer all through high school. Uh, I wasn't really a consumer of it. Cause I mean, I didn't really like waking up early uh, back in like high school. So like EPL. Oh, man, that's, a, that's a part of the, that's a it, part of the ordeal, it, man. It, I'm, I'm coming from San Diego. So you're talking about English Premier League matches starting at oh, 4.30. Yeah, no. Know? Like, I'd be sound asleep. Like, I didn't even yeah. wake, want to wake up at 6.30. And then, like, 
MLS was still kind of like, yeah, like it's kind of like an indie kind of like, I mean, not indie. I mean, but like it was kind of like underground. Like if you like MLS, then you're like a total like soccer dude, right? And I right. wasn't like that like consumer-wise. But like I would love to cover the MLS one day, uh, mostly because – uh, you mentioned the USL. Uh, I like the USL Championship League uh, because mostly uh, during my internship, uh, I covered. Uh, I mean, I worked at uh, worked at the Colorado Springs Gazette uh, for my internship, and uh, if yep. you know the switchbacks. Switchback. So, yep. and like the reporter there, he left right bu- right before my internship uh, started. So I pretty much just filled in as like the full time switchbacks reporter, and like that kind of like fostered my love for soccer journalism. And so forth. I mean, I cover the MPSL down here in Laredo now. So, like, the National Premier Soccer League, if people don't know, it's an amateur league. But, I mean, a lot of good, like, a lot of future MLS players probably play in this league. So, I mean, you, you can say right. you watch the uh, future. Yeah, and the, and the cool thing about MPSL is, like you said, you're going to get a lot of college players. You're going to get a lot of, you know, top-tier youth players who are trying to get some, some extra experience outside of their youth club. Uh, and, and some of those top players, they ended up going into USL League One sides or USL Championship sides and signing youth professional contracts, which a player like Jack Mayer at, with Nashville SC is from the greater St. Louis area. He played for their club okay. uh, out there in the USL. But, you know, he, he he had a particular situation where obviously he was treated as an amateur, yeah. signing an amateur contract, but was playing professional uh, for for a little bit, and then went back to Indiana where he played, and he obviously got drafted number two overall in the MLS Super Draft this past uh, this earlier this January. So you have that experience, and you have that opportunity to connect with young players, possibly getting a chance to meet them when they're only 17, 18, 19, 20 years old, and then once they get 21, 22, they're you know, they've got college experience. Their scouts are looking at them. Let's say they get drafted in the MLS first round, second round, they're a top pick. You know, you have the opportunity to say you knew a generation Adidas top player who was picked with, you know, and who was a lottery pick in the draft. And now you are able to have that connection in his rookie season like no other reporter. And so the MPSL is, is great. And I think the WPSL is, is trying to get to that level as well. Obviously, the women's equivalent. Uh, so I definitely don't want to count out lower league football as well. Yeah, no, I, I like I've really enjoyed my time covering the MPSL. I mean, like the coaches there, uh, really nice and so forth. But uh, like, cause with soccer, I mean, as we mentioned before, not a lot of people like want to go into soccer journalism. But I mean, like now, I mean, it is a growing league. MLS is like, I mean, they obviously have like a goal to hopefully be a top three sport here in America. I mean, I think it has the potential too, because I mean, if you look at baseball, baseball's kind of lowering like because i mean kid like people our age aren't really investing in the mlb as much as like the older generation was right so i mean what do you think that but a lot of media outlets don't really kind of put the time in to like cover mls like extensively i mean i mean the tennessee obviously does i mean i know like a few places i mean i like the philadelphia acquirer i know does i mean the orlando sentinel i know does but, I mean, what do you think it's going to take for bigger markets? Because, I mean, because I work for a Hearst co- company, and, I mean, we're sister papers with San Antonio Express News and the Houston uh, Chronicle. I mean, Houston, they don't really do much Dynamo coverage, but, like, they did during, like, the MLS back tournament because they were the only sport playing at the time until, like, the Rockets came back and whatnot. What do you think it's going to take for more, like, media outlets to give soccer the proper coverage? 
I think it has a, it's two sides to a coin. I think the first side is the fact that, well, I won't say two sides to a coin. I'll say that it has multiple facets. It has two facets. So the first is, first of all, I think the product and I think the league, the bigger that they get with its top players, the more players that they're getting who play for national teams that are you know, scoring tons of goals that are highly marketable, not just as soccer players, but as professional athletes, the, the, the more sensational and the more higher level of the product and the bigger the games, the more goals are scored, the more talent is pushed on national television, I think the better. And I think hopefully ratings will, will include as well. I also think the national teams have a big role to play because the fact of the matter is those who aren't consuming the sport endlessly you know they're not going to watch mls games at noon central time on a, on a saturday morning on a saturday afternoon they're just not going to do that but when the u.s men's national team plays world cup qualifiers or they're playing in the world cup or they're playing in the Concacaf gold cup against mexico against costa rica against jamaica some of the other powerhouses in the region or maybe they're playing friendlies against england holland argentina brazil other big-time national powerhouses, and they start winning those friendlies, although they are friendlies, the more interest you're going to be pulling from those who are not consuming the sport regularly. So that's one side. The other side is there needs to be, I believe, a new generation of editors that see the sport with a new eye. Because the fact of the matter is, many editors have a closed mind to the sport. They are jailed and confined to the page views that, that they find in the subscriptions uh, based off of, you know, the stories are behind the paywall. They look at those numbers and don't see good numbers in soccer coverage. And they're not going to hire uh, a full-time reporter to cover soccer. Now, I'm not even just talking one club, but trying to cover soccer in its entirety. They're not going to do that if one, uh, if, but you know, budget constraints in these times, right? Yeah. Uh, but also seeing that there's not much of a payoff there's you're not getting the page views you're not getting the subscriptions consistently over a quarter or over a couple of quarters or over a season and so that's the biggest problem but i do think that there are a lot of up-and-coming editors or or leadership in local newsrooms whether it be local newspapers or other publications that will soon realize that as MLS grows and as the World Cup is approaching in 2026 uh, to the U.S., Canada, and Mexico bid, I think that there is going to be a wave of reporters either up and coming or in the middle that are a little bit more liberating when it comes to um, you know, allowing soccer coverage and perhaps allowing opportunity for reporters to be hired as full-time soccer reporters. Yeah, no, I mean, that that's a great answer because, I mean, because here, uh, like, I get dictate coverage uh, at my paper, like, what goes where. So, I mean, since I really love soccer, I really try to highlight it as much as I can. Uh, so, I definitely agree that kind of need a new mindset because now a lot of older people, like, I mean, I'm going to use this for example because uh, you mentioned older people. I mean, granted, my grandpa doesn't work in a newspaper, but, like, he thinks soccer silly. I mean, he's an older person and whatnot. So, yeah, I can definitely see how, like, an old mind doesn't really value soccer as much as baseball, right. football, or basketball. But because uh, Nashville SC, and people don't know if they're listening to this, I mean, they didn't play in the MLS back as tournament. I mean, 
as a reporter, I assume you're pretty disappointed. I mean, granted, they did it out of, like, safety issues. But, I mean, were you kind of disappointed that they didn't play, like, as, like, a reporter? Because, like, being well, of course. To... I mean, I'm, I'm just like the players. The, the players wanted to play. I wanted to watch them play. I wanted to cover the team. I wanted to be able to provide an outlet for soccer fans in Nashville that maybe are still considering the club or maybe are big fans of the club or maybe they love soccer and they're a soccer purist is what we call them who are latched on to the English Premier League or European soccer in general and international soccer, but they don't necessarily bite on the MLS product. I think Nashville and a lot of MLS markets have the opportunity to win those fans over. And I think our coverage as local journalists, we have that, that responsibility to provide that coverage. And so I was excited to do that, of course, because I've only covered two MLS matches for National SC, at least, yeah. on that beat. So that's crazy, right? I mean, like, just thinking, I got here in, in October. I covered the remainder of the USL version of National SC. I covered the entire preseason. I covered the first two matches of the season, and all of a sudden, boom. Dang. No more, no more matches. No more games. And so that's crazy, because I'm over here sitting on my, on, on my, on my home desk, realizing that I'm probably going to have to start counting sheep because there's not going to be any matches for months. Yeah. And that's the fact of the matter. It's been, it's been almost five months. Next, next week, it will be five months. That's crazy. So, but uh, yes, that, that's, that's, that's incredible to, to realize. And I was certainly disappointed, but the, the most important thing is, you know, I don't wish any scare. I don't wish any sickness whether it be the coronavirus or not, on anyone, but particularly with players who are risking absolutely everything. They had to move their families. They had to move their, their careers. and They had to get rid of their comfortability in other MLS clubs. Someone like Dan Lovitz, who's played in Canada his entire professional career up until this year. He played for Toronto FC for a couple of years and then, of course, played for Montreal Impact. You have other players who thought they probably might have settled in a little bit more. Someone like Walker Zimmerman, who's a U.S. men's national team player, played for FC Dallas, then gets 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 acquired by LAFC as they come into the league. He's thinking that you know, obviously he's in love with the club. He's he's a top center back. He was in the best eleven as the best eleven players in the MLS last year. Um, obviously, the LAFC was you know top of the West, and that they were. They were the hot commodity, right? They yeah. were the Western Conference version of Atlanta United. Yep. And all of a sudden, he gets traded to Nashville SC, and he has to restart. And so, and he, even some of the other players who may not get the big names, you know, um, someone like even David Akamis to me is a big name, but you know, someone like Dave Romney who was overlooked at LA Galaxy, uh, someone like Alan Wynn who was drafted by the M- by an MLS club with Colorado Rapids, but never appeared. Uh, someone like Ken Tribbett, who was also, again, you know, widely recognized as an MLS player, spent a little bit of time with Philadelphia Union, ended up going into the USL, and then he's finally returned to the MLS. And you have a lot of players who may not be the, the top names, but they have just the same experience. They're trying to get acclimated into a new scenery. And so uh, it, it's not fun to not play games because that's what everybody – is depending on regardless of what your job is yeah no uh definitely agree there and i mean you mentioned playing games uh i mean there is reports out there that mls might play games at home uh 
fields and so forth. I mean, as a, cause I mean, a lot of talk, I mean, you look at the pandemic right now, I mean, like college football, like right now, if you like talk about like football, like American football, uh, like people are like debating, oh, should it happen? Should it not happen? Right. And so forth. And I mean, you look at the USL, uh, USL Championship League, I mean, they've been playing home games uh, at their home stadiums, but I mean, granted, they've been in clusters, like, uh, for example, like San Antonio FC has played only at Austin uh, FC and uh, RGV FC, and I forgot the other uh, team in their bracket, but I think El Paso FC, uh, El Paso Locomotives. But do you think that could work for the MLS, uh, playing like their home stadiums and maybe adopting something like a USL Championship League style? Yeah, so the Athletic and Jeff Ruder and Sam Stay School, they reported that that is likely what it might, might be the case for this particular structure. So uh, according to them, MLS is looking at a multi-phase return. So phase one will be six matches in the span of about two weeks in which, or excuse me, three weeks, uh, in which teams will be playing usually, you know, what's expected is regional games. Yeah. So what Nashville would do is they perhaps would play Atlanta United, they would play Orlando City, they would play Inter-Miami, they may play FC Cincinnati and Columbus Crew, maybe Chicago, and places that you could pretty much drive or are in somewhat of a reasonable difference. They're not yeah. going to play anybody in the Western Conference. Yeah, no. They're likely not going to play the New York teams. They're likely not going to play Montreal and Toronto. Um, that's for that first phase, right? It's in six, six matches in three weeks. And then a few days will go by, and then a, a phase of 13 matches will uh, will take place, I believe, and which you'll go from mid-September to the middle beginning of November. Okay. And at that point, you will likely play the entire conference. But there will not be any interconference, any interleague play. Um, so it's a little bit similar to USL. It's a little bit similar in terms of a gradual return. It's not going to be, you know, off the bat, National C is going to play, <laughs> you know, they're going to play Vancouver Whitecaps. Yes, it's not going to happen. Um, and it's also going to be interesting for the Canadian teams, which the Athletic reported and talked about, which is obviously Canada as a whole. We know what happened in, in baseball yeah. with with the Toronto Blue Jays. They weren't able to host any any games in, in, in Toronto. Um, and so... You're, you're talking about federal, you know, health protocol as well, where it's likely in that first phase that Vancouver, Montreal, and Toronto are just going to play each other twice. Yeah. Um, so you're 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 pretty much going to, or excuse me, three times. So what it would happen is Toronto plays Montreal, they play Vancouver, and they play, you know, they play each, they play yeah. both of those teams three times. Uh, you know, that's probably what's going to happen in phase one. And then phase two, they would likely we'll see what happens because that will, you know, that will be two months from now, two and a half months from now, and, or almost two months, about a month and a half from now. So you're looking at an opportunity where maybe the virus has been controlled a little bit better. Hopefully, and and, and yeah, borders will be a little bit more elusive and a little bit more lenient. Yeah, no, because I would love to see the MLS. I would love to see all sports return, but obviously health and safety comes first and so forth but i mean this is also a journalist i mean we talked about a lot about soccer journalism but let's just get into like journalism basics uh but obviously uh you've told a lot of good stuff i mean i really liked your story on uh like kind of like the pool goalkeeper 
story. I really like that one. Uh, but I mean, what are some of the your favorite stories that you've told so far in your career? On the Nashville CB, certainly the black players for change in Major League Soccer. Uh, based off the unfortunate and enraged national sensation of the killing of George Floyd, which for the black community is not a sensation, it is an everyday reminder of, of, of our lifestyle in America. And that's just the fact of the matter. But the fact that black players in Major League Soccer were able to come together successfully and very quickly uh, and do it right and do it cohesively to come together and form a Players Coalition, and that's what they did. And so, be able to write the prologue, if you will, of that narrative to be able to write that story with Colorado Rapids and MLS veteran Kai Kamara, as well as another veteran in CJ Sapong, who is uh, obviously a number nine for Chicago Fire FC. And being able to write that story was awesome. But also, I would say there are some non soccer stories that I've enjoyed writing, one being uh, from a running back, uh, Tennessee State running back, uh, Jordan Bell, who lost a part of his leg in a motorcycle accident in April. Um, being able to write that story and being able to get the chance to talk with him, to talk with his mom, to talk with his high school coach, to talk with his college coach, to talk with others in the community who know Jordan because he is a Nashville native. You know, he played high school football here and then went on to play Tennessee State, which is located here in Nashville, it's a historically uh, black college. And to be able to tell that story the way I was able to and have that access, that was one of my favorite stories as well. Uh, I don't think that my ultimate favorite story, I hope, in 2020 that it hasn't been told yet because I, I certainly look forward to another four months, four months in change of telling some good stories in Nashville season inaugural year. Yeah, no, uh, I, I really look forward to your continued coverage because, I mean, you've been killing the beat. Uh, like, Appreciate you've been just it. dominating it. And, like, you're one of my favorite uh, soccer reporters, as I mentioned maybe uh, before off uh, the podcast. But uh, last question for you, Drake. Uh, like, what – because obviously you have a – I mean, you have a lot of experience. Uh, I mean, as you mentioned, you started out at the University of Oregon. You studied at Northwestern, which if everybody, everybody knows, uh, at Medell is kind of like – the top journalism school. I mean, you guys are kind of like a mafia, I guess, like the Medell mafia and whatnot. And yeah, I mean, and unfortunately, that's that's caught its that's caught wind inside the, the Medell newsroom as well. So uh, we gotta we gotta stay humble. I try to try not to drop the the M word and, and drop Medell a lot, just because you know, once once somebody starts it, then everybody starts feeling a little bit entitled and a little bit cocky. So um, yeah, that's definitely been a Oh, crazy! It's funny you say that. Yeah, it's actually people say inside. Yeah, because I mean, I because I, I have like a friend who goes to Medell right now, and like she kind of told me that. I mean, yeah, kind of. I kind of get that sense about like there's some people who kind of use it kind of like as a yeah, yeah. Like, so you know, you got the inside source, so you know. Yeah. So, but I mean, you also like as you mentioned, covered the Chicago Fire, uh, your fellowship in Phoenix, and so forth. I mean. What are some of like, the advice that you, like, where are some of the insight that you've gained during your journalistic career that you would offer as advice to hopeful, like, sports journalists coming through, like, maybe high school or college right now? I think to start on the mental side, you can never be 
too ahead. You can never be too far gone. You can always be more prepared. You can always be uh, more. Uh, you can you could always be a little bit more stronger on the mental side. Uh, when you make a mistake, you're going to make mistakes. You're you're going to you know, report something that's slightly inaccurate. You're going to report something that you might have a, a misspelled word or you might have a detail that you might have missed out that was very important for context. You might have had an issue with your recorder when it runs out of, you know, <laughs> the batteries are dead in the middle of an interview or maybe you never pressed the recorder or you never, you know, maybe you wrote a poor headline. Maybe you wrote a misleading headline. You know, those things are going to happen. If you have the opportunity to fix them, fix them. But the biggest thing is that you're not going to harp on that mistake because you're going to be the only one who's harping on that mistake. Why? Because sports reporters are extremely narcissistic and they're thinking about how they're seen. They're thinking about how they're looking. And they're not out here trying to look at their competition's mistakes in a story or their competition's, uh, you know, poor, poor writing. Yeah, uh, they're not they're not going to focus so much on your grind and your growing pains. They're looking at how they're seen. And so when you get a chance to understand that in your head, you understand that the mistake that you made is an opportunity to learn. It's never a loss. There's no such thing as a loss. There's always such thing as a lesson. And as long as you get that down, I think you'll be good on the mental side. On the technical side, read as much as you can. Uh, read news. I, I try to read our papers education coverage. I try to read our papers you know, politics coverage. I certainly read other sports beats. I read our National Predators coverage. I read our Titans coverage. I read our high school preps coverage because we have a really strong network uh, statewide. And I think we're able to use that because we're a part of the USA Today network where we have folks in Murfreesboro, which is about an hour south of us, we have folks in Jackson, Tennessee, which is in Northwest Tennessee. We have folks in Memphis. We have folks in Knoxville. Yeah. We have folks in and around the area where we can you know, read some top awesome sports stories at the prep level. And those are usually some of the best stories when you're talking about um, you know, pretty much just awesome narratives, you know? Uh, being able to be aware of what's going on around you and supporting local journalism, reading your local paper, that will help you in your writing. Also, another thing that I've learned is be sure to be careful with what you're writing. Do not be so much in a rush where you're out here making poor spelling mistakes or calling players names that they shouldn't be called in terms of their position or in terms of you know last name misspelling or and that, that all of that is, is, is easy fixes, you know. You should be able to, and also be clear on your, your, your writing. Don't beware of redundancy. You know, try to be your editor. Be your editor. Like, don't wait and throw your first draft to your editor or to, your, to the copy desk. Be your editor. That's another big point. Make sure that you are the, the highest, most critical person when it comes to your writing. So that you're catching your mistakes, you're catching your redundancy, you're catching opportunities to be able to fine-tune a story before you file. And I think those things have been a great help for me, especially in my feature stories, um, being able to make it easier on others who I work with. 
I think though that's the biggest advice. Yeah, no, reading has helped a lot because I mean, uh, you mentioned the athletic. I read their soccer section a lot, especially like help me come up with like ideas for my MPSL beat and then uh, fine tuning my articles because I'm not gonna lie to you, I find like stupid mistakes that I made during my first draft all the time. So, yeah, no, definitely agree there. Uh, but that's pretty much all I have for you, Drake. Uh, so if you want to plug where people can find uh, you at, like like on Twitter, maybe on Instagram, Facebook. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, Follow me on Live Life Drake on Twitter. That's Live Life Drake. Uh, I tweet about pretty much anything soccer and anything that's going on in Nashville, plus anything that I see on TV, including Star Wars binging. So, um yeah, follow me on Twitter. Also, Tennessean.com, T-E-N-N-S-S-E-A-N.com, uh, slash Nashville SC. That's where you're going to find all of our stuff, subscriber stories, um, Q&As, feature stories, news, everything that you need when it comes to MLS at a national level, but also with the club. Yeah, no. Uh, and again, Drake, I really appreciate your time today, man. Yeah, I appreciate you, Garrett.